I don't want them to feel discouraged by this thing flashing in their face consistently that says, you need 6 million by the time you retire and you've got five years to get there. So you might as well put 125,000 aside a month or start smoking. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, we can, we can suggest a good insurance policy. Right. <laughs> Money Mostly Canadian Podcast with your host, Preet Banerjee. Hey everybody, welcome back to Mostly Money, Mostly Canadian. I'm your host, Preet Banerjee, and on the show today I'll be talking to Randy Cass, CEO and founder of Nest Wealth, a Canadian robo-advisor that bills itself as Canada's first subscription-based investing service. And before we start our conversation, this is your regular thank you and reminder about ratings on iTunes for the show. Thank you to everyone who has left a rating, which takes less than 10 seconds, and to those who have additionally left a comment, which can take more than 10 seconds. And if you haven't done so yet, and you like the show, taking those 10 seconds or less to rate the podcast is much appreciated and helps me to attract guests like Randy Cass. So let's find out more about Randy and his company, Nest Wealth. Randy, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay. So on this show, the format is as follows. We're going to have a big, long-ranging conversation about uh, your business and what you're doing now, but we want to start out by knowing a little bit more about Randy Cast, the individual. So tell me, how did you end up where you are today from, from high school? Cole's notes. So we're talking Cole's like notes. a couple minutes. Yeah. What did you do? Where'd you go to school? What companies have you been with before sure. that ultimately led you to where you are today? Yeah. It's, uh, it's been anything but a direct path. Uh, went to, um, UCC in high school and then, and then went to, uh, do undergrad at Western. Uh, did what was Ivy, a small HBA program at that time to get, to get the business chops wet, but always thought I wanted to be a lawyer. I always was told that I should be a lawyer. So went to law school at U of T, uh, graduated from law school, took all of about a week to figure out that I didn't necessarily want to be a lawyer. Okay. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then went back and did, uh, MBA, uh, at Ivy, a CFA, um, got called to the bar and then, uh, Got my first real finance job up at TDSI, Trading Currency Derivatives. Always kind of steered towards the quant side of things. Uh, A couple years there, uh, about five years up at Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, managing portfolios in the quantitative group under uh, a great guy named Morgan McKegg. Um, And then got a chance to run external capital, again, quantitative uh, for firms like uh, J.C. Clark and Bluemont that gave us some capital um, and did that for a few years. And as we were running money and trying to figure out what our next strategy was going to be, stumbled on the idea of building um, a tool uh, for the institutional side of the business. So FinTech before FinTech was cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a bunch of other companies decided, a bunch of other firms and funds decided that they would use it if we built it. So we ended up spinning off a company called First Coverage. That was a alpha tool, an alpha generation tool for the buy side for a bunch of portfolio managers and large firms. Raised a lot of VC money for that one um, in 2006 and 2008, right before the crash. Uh, raised about $15 million from U.S. and Canadian VCs. Uh, ended up selling that company in about 2011, 2012 to a U.K. company. Uh, and then from there, took a couple years off to figure out what to do next. And, and during that time, hosted a show on BNN called Market Sense with Catherine Murray. 
which was great fun. And then in 2014, uh, instead of railing against some of the injustices of the Canadian wealth management industry consistently day after day after day on <laughs> BNN, uh, I thought there was an opportunity to make it better. And so left to, uh, to set up Nest Wealth. And that's how we ended up sitting across the table from each other. Excellent. So when you said you were railing against the inefficiencies of the Canadian wealth management industry on BNN, I imagine since they sell a lot of advertising to financial services companies, was there a lot of pressure? They say, hey, why is this Randy guy on railing against the financial services or? No, I think uh, to their credit, they never, the only, I only got pressured once to say something that I didn't honestly believe in. Oh, really? But it wasn't about fees. It was more political thing. They didn't want me to touch. I think it was when, uh, I think it was when actually Rob Ford, rest in peace. I think it was when he was, uh, he was doing something on his campaign and they said, do not talk about that at all, right? <laughs> it's not your domain of expertise. So I kind of steered clear of that. But no, I would have CEOs of fund companies on. I would have regulators on. I would push CEOs as to why fees remain so high in Canada. What was the justification? I would push regulators to move faster, harder for visibility, for transparency, for changing the way fees got paid. Um, and, and then, like I mentioned, I had a co-host. She was as bullish and still is on the industry as you could ever be, supportive right. of everything that's done there to add value. Uh, and I was a little more skeptical that that everybody was adding as much value as they were extracting from the individual. So uh, to their credit, no, I kind of always expected to get called into the office and told, you can't <laughs> say that about those guys right. who have the commercial right after you said that. But they never did that. Right. So they never said, listen, you got to stop quoting the academic literature <laughs> and stick to the marketing brochures. Um, no, they were, uh, they were quite good. It's hard. It's hard. Like there, there's that statement, right? Everybody's entitled to their own opinion, right. not their own facts. <laughs> right. So it's hard to argue the facts. Right. Okay. So I guess this is the perfect impetus for starting up Nest Wealth because you saw, well, there's a marketplace here. And I'm sure you saw that this was a growing appetite for a lot of people that would stop you on the street. I mean, you know, I wrote a personal finance blog, talked a lot about active versus passive and and uh, the value of advice and cost of fees and all this stuff. And it is such a nuanced conversation, but really uh, the focus of the attention has been very polarizing. You know, it's either or and, and what have you. So there is an appetite. So so tell me, when do you remember the exact moment where you had the idea, okay, I need to hang out my shingle again and start up Nest Wealth. Yeah, I remember the exact moment because we, we, I had the notion, all the pieces kind of were swirling around in the deep vacuum that is my brain, right? And I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get them to coalesce because I had the notion that I want people to invest passively if I'm going to do this. And I want to focus on the things that we can control. Um, and I want to make it easy to understand. But my concept kept butting up against a wall that how do you get people excited about paying 50 basis points instead of 125 basis points or 1% instead of 2.5%. The, the notion of the numbers just seems so um, not tangible that I, I, I kept wondering how we were going to achieve scale. And I was sitting watching, I have three boys at home, I was sitting watching Netflix with one of them on a, a weekend morning and that's when... I had that epiphany moment, at least for the retail product, going to investors that says, why on earth would we build a company based on cutting edge technology that doesn't cost any more for us to manage a million dollar account than it does to manage a $150,000 account? 
and charge people eight times it. It's just not what I would do with a retail facing brand. So the notion of creating a subscription based wealth management service, something that had a flat fee, regardless of how big the account got that capped ourselves so that investors could keep a lot more of their money. That was the moment when everything came together. Okay. So for the listeners, I mean, most of the listeners of this podcast probably have a pretty good idea as to what a robo-advisor is, automated investing, but let's break it down because there are some people who may be new to this space. So explain in a nutshell, what is this service that you came up with? What is Nest Wealth? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So the wealth management industry has gone decades in almost... Um, a static form, very unchanged, uh, very relationship based, um, fundamentally putting together portfolios for people. And then in many cases, not adding a ton of additional value. And they charge a percentage of assets under management to do that. In, in Canada, it can be anywhere from one to two percent. If you are investing in a mutual fund, it can be up to two and a half percent a year, um, which unfortunately the number sounds small. Right. But in reality, the, the objective data indicates that that could be 50% of your potential wealth, 50% of the amount of money you're going to retire with that you could have sacrificed through fees and the inability of that money to compound. So what a robo-advisor does, a name that was uh, anointed onto the newcomers by the industry as a whole, um, what they do essentially is use technology to take as much of the process as can be done better by technology and utilize it to do that. So, for example, uh, the same 10 questions that an advisor might ask you sitting across from the end of the table, I can ask you online. Mm -hmm. The same way an advisor might use a piece of software to create a portfolio, we can do that with technology and Nobel Prize winning portfolio uh, formulas. The same way that you have to fill in documentation, well, that can be done much better online because it can be digital. You don't have to get out of your pajamas to do it. You can do it on your own. So all the stuff that could be commoditized, robo-advice commoditizes, right? The process of onboarding, the process of building a portfolio, the process of getting to know you. And then it gets supplanted with a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a portfolio manager, at which point... Your portfolio is now held in your name. We use national banks, NBCN as our custodian. So in your name, under the auspices of one of Canada's large banks, and it is managed by a PM who has a fiduciary obligation to do what is in your best interest. It is rebalanced if it ever goes off course and needs to be readjusted. It is updated to reflect how your life situation changes on an ongoing basis. And it is using technology to improve all the parts of the process that it can be used to do. Now, 
the upside of this is if you don't have big offices, and I mean, you can, you can periscope around here. We have beautiful offices, but we don't have mahogany tables and we don't have boardrooms and we don't have kind of big tower offices. You're not even wearing a suit today. I'm, I'm offended. I'm not even wearing a suit. I didn't <laughs> know I was going to be on video. Um, if you don't have all the fixed costs and you don't have the legacy costs of servers that were invented in the 1970s and, and rooms that are built on punch card technology as opposed <laughs> to the latest cloud-based systems, if you don't have all these costs and you don't have a massive sales force pushing your own mutual funds, you can do everything we just said at a vastly more affordable price point. So what? In, in, you've read a lot about robo-advice, but the two things to remember that are most important is that because the distribution channel is online, it's opened the area of professional wealth management to millions of households that wouldn't otherwise have access to it. Mm-hmm. And because it's online, it's reduced the cost of having access to that dramatically. So we have made the conscious choice to charge people anywhere from $20 a month to $80 a month without taking a percentage of their AUM or assets under management. And that initial conversation we had a few minutes ago that they might be sacrificing 50% of their wealth by paying two, two and a half percent a year, all of a sudden we put Canadians in the position to keep 95% of their wealth, which is a dramatic and necessary change. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because when you look at how costs have evolved, compensation models have evolved in the financial services, it's kind of occurred in a silo. So if you look at other types of professional advice, for example, accountants, if you went to an accounting conference and said, hey guys, we're starting a new company, instead of charging clients by the hour, you're going to charge them a percentage of their net worth every year, they'd be salivating at the idea of how much money that they'd be able to make. And so for them, you know, it's kind of the exact opposite. And so when you tell them, yeah, that's how, you know, the financial services model has worked, which is it's a, a percentage of asset, which is, is, is now morphed into is traditionally commission based with, uh, transactional commissions and whatnot. And it's shifting more towards fee based, but to them, it's still a very strange thing. Um, and so it, it's interesting how these two models have developed in and of themselves. And within those industries, we see them as, well, this is normal. And you go to the other industry and they say, well, that's abnormal. So your model is basically saying, yeah, we, we think that the percentage of assets under management cost at some point doesn't make a lot of sense, especially when you get to higher net worth portfolios, I'm assuming. For, for, it's for what we do as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's the thing that's also evolved. The ability to have someone create a properly diversified, optimized portfolio that reflects your specific risk tolerance, not your neighbors, but, but your financial situation and risk tolerance. If someone's not using software to do that right now, I would argue that they're not doing as good a job as they possibly could. Because mm-hmm. at that level, the things that you need to take into account are a lot of mathematical terms, how assets react with each other, historical correlations, historical covariances, what asset classes should work best with each other. And, and if someone is still kind of licking their finger and sticking it up in the air and saying, you sound like a 60-40 guy to me, 60% <laughs> equity, 40% bonds. Yeah. They're doing their clients a disservice. So once you understand that technology is responsible for building the best possible portfolios, then you also have to understand that for that part of this industry, there's no reason that we should be charging a percentage of assets under management. It should be, just like every other profession, a flat fee based on the services that you're undertaking. Now, 
What I think happens to the industry as a whole is that there is immense value for many people still to have this advisor relationship. Mm -hmm. But the value the advisor brings is going to have to be in all sorts of other areas beyond just portfolio creation, asset allocation, and rebalancing. You can, I would even go so far to say that you will never again in Canada or in North America or potentially in the world, but never again in Canada be able to build an advisory practice off of just taking money in and allocating it to a traditional plain vanilla asset mix. That That's done. So let's say you've got someone who is decided, I want to use a, a robo-advisory service, uh, for lack of a better phrase and term. Digital wealth management. Right. Online advisor. Yeah, right. So I know that uh, part of the reason that the robo-advisor moniker is sort of stuck is, I guess some people want to say, well, we want to position it as cold, um, disengaged and whatnot for whatever reason. And I know a lot of people have issues about the name, but let's put that aside for a second. Does the client of a digital wealth management platform, a robo-advisor, do they need some kind of self-enlightenment in order to use the service versus a typical Canadian financial consumer? It depends what you mean by self-enlightenment. Usually, all they need to see are the facts, mm-hmm. right? You, and, and that's something that um, the regulators are pushing hard to put in front of them. So, so for example... If you asked a lot of Canadians, and you know this more than anyone in the country probably, how they pay for financial services, what's the traditional response you'd get? They have no idea. And many think they don't. Right. Right? So so the vast majority don't know how they pay. And of that, a large percentage actually think that it's free. And, and that's because... Canada lags significantly behind other countries, both in the fees they charge, mm-hmm. they're the highest in the developed world, and in how they display them. Most of them come in a rather opaque mechanism that is a trailer fee, for example. So you get sold a mutual fund by someone at a bank and the mutual fund charges two and a half percent a year and it comes off before you see how the mutual fund's done each day, meaning that it's built into the performance. And of the two and a half percent, the person that sold it to you is taking 1% home a year, every single year that you hold that mutual fund. That's how they get paid. That's how this entire, that's how $1.4 trillion of mutual funds that Canadian hold. That's how they get paid trailer fees on a lot of that. That's hopefully going away. The OSC and the other regulatory bodies right now are saying, what should we do about this trailer fee? Doesn't exist in the States anymore. Doesn't exist in Australia. Doesn't exist in the UK. Canada probably will follow suit. That's my bet. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, though, coming up in January of 2017, starting July, but really by January, something called CRM2 is going to happen. And that means that everybody across Canada will get a statement that shows how much they paid in those trailer fees over the course of the year, Mm -hmm. how much they paid in all sorts of commissions and fees to their advisors. And for a lot of people, that is going to be the very first time they look at their statement and say, $10,000, $12,000, $7,000, that's the highest annual fee I have outside of my house and maybe my car, Right. right? And they haven't even known they've been paying it. So our biggest job, is educating Canadians about the damage that is being done to their future by paying high fees without having any understanding if they're getting value in return. And that self-awareness moment you spoke of, of that epiphany moment, is really nothing more than them going to our site at nestwealth.com, plugging in some variables and saying, 
holy doodle, that's $400,000 I'm giving up by the time I retire. Mm-hmm. Usually that's all the education it needs, but they need that moment. They absolutely need that moment. Right. And, and I think you're right when you say, you know, the facts might compel someone to become enlightened or to drive some kind of change. And this is really what I'm getting at. So if you have someone who has looked at these facts and they are spurred into action to switch to a robo-advisor, digital wealth management platform, whatever you want to call it, are they giving up someone there saying, listen, you need to be saving more? Like once you've made that switch, what is that, uh, uh, another advisor that I know calls it uh, constructive behavior modification. So you're doing all the right things. You've lowered your costs and you know now you've got an automated portfolio, rebalances all that. Academically, it's sound, but are you saving enough? Are, you know, So that's one of the challenges that I see um, that robo-advisors have to deal with is how do you get someone to modify some of their behavior? So right. yeah, you might have a perfect, technically perfect portfolio, but are you saving enough? And are you giving them license to say, okay, I'm, I'm taking care of, I don't need to worry about this anymore. I mean, there's an evolution, I would think, in robo-advice. What are your thoughts on that? You're bang on. And I don't think you've seen our latest version of the platform, but I'll show it to you right after we leave. Sure. Um, so two things I'll say about that. I bring up the latest version because we've made the entire transition to everything being goals-based on our platform okay. now. So anyone who comes on will establish a goal and based on that goal and their time horizon and the portfolio that they're placed into, they will be able to see right away whether they're on track or off track based on their assumptions. And they will also be able to see what kind of things they can do to get back on track if they're off track. They can either make a lump sum payment, they can either make uh, increase monthly, or they can extend the time horizon. All things that are viable options that we've always known, but people have had a difficult, challenging time trying to understand by themselves. And we've made that adjustment because the number one thing we got asked for was, I just want to know if I'm on track or off track, right? The, the information asymmetry that exists between what people want to know and what traditional brokerage statements provide them is like the Grand Canyon in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, on our system, you log in, you see your balance, and you see whether you're up or down and how many dollars you're up or down. And that information, since inception, mm-hmm. that information is next to impossible to find on it's like any, pulling teeth yeah yeah, yeah. You, you can't get it and if some advisors will say they don't have the systems in place to track it which has to raise a ton of questions competence questions yeah um so so it's right there and and our system has been built for people that do want to abdicate to a certain extent the minutia of planning for the future but know that it's taken care of in the most sophisticated way possible. So a vast majority of people that log into our system, look at their balance, look at if they're up or down, log off. Now they're going to see balance up and down and whether their goals are on track or not. Interesting. Eventually, it might just be for behavioral psychology, are my goals on track or not? And then you remove a lot of the volatility and angst that happens when the market dips a point or two. Mm -hmm. That being said, I will also say that we have a firm belief at Nest Wealth that people are doing the best they can given the circumstances they can. And if they're contributing three, four, five hundred dollars a month, or if they've put in twenty-five thousand to start, I don't want them to feel discouraged by this thing flashing in their face consistently that says, you need six million by the time you retire and you've got five years to get there. So you might as well put 125,000 aside a month or start smoking. And yeah. That's, that's, we can, we can suggest a good insurance policy. Right. Um, that is 
from our point of view, that shock and awe moment that's existed in this industry for so long that sometimes deters people from right. doing it. So we'd rather, and our system has been built to do this, get them started and then gently encourage them to improve on what they're giving or how they're investing or what they're seeing as their goals once they're in the good habits that investing can generally create in a person. Okay, so we you, you mentioned before the costs range from $20 a month to $80 per month, depending, I'm guessing, on asset tiering. We Asset and a bit of services as well. Oh, okay. So why don't you break down, um, so what are those, there's three tiers, 20, 40, and 80. So yeah. what, what do you get for those three different tiers? So, so anything from zero to 75,000 is $20 a month. And if you want to try us out and throw some money in up to $10,000 to see kind of how it feels, we're happy to run that for nothing for you to get a sample of it. A lot of people actually do move over, not necessarily 10,000, but 25, 50,000. Uh, give us a shot. Let us see how they feel about having the interface they have and the conversations they have. Um, and on that point, they continue to add assets as they get more comfortable. Our churn, it is almost zero, mm-hmm. actually. People that once they start Nest Wealth, they just don't leave. And there are some reasons for that, and I'm happy to talk about them. Um, once you get above 75000 and you move up to seventy five to 150000 it becomes $40 a month. And you can have multiple accounts, and you can have multiple profiles under that. And then once you get 150000 and above, um, it caps out at $80 a month, which means that every additional dollar you're putting into investing is all yours. There's no additional management fee on it. And that's a, that's an entirely new concept within the Canadian industry. And is that um, irrespective of the number of accounts that you have? So yeah. you can have an RSP, a spouse RSP, an RESP, a TFSA, yeah. all that stuff? All that stuff's included. So we, we charge by the name on the account. So okay. you can have five accounts underlying you and it's still just that $80 a month. And and what about at the lower tiers or is it capped to one account? Yeah, at the lower tiers, we'll help you set up. If there's a longer plan that you want to test, but you want to test among multiple accounts, we'll get that set up for you. But typically at the lower tiers, it's one account. Okay. So at $80 per month, that's what? $960 a year. Um, and then beyond that, so that's the that's your fee. That's our fee. So what other costs would be incurred by the client? So there'd be two other costs that you should be aware of. One is the management expense ratio of the ETFs, the exchange traded funds. We haven't even talked about that, but right. it, should, it should be said that um, the pillar of what we do at Nest Wealth is, is threefold, right? One is um, always put the client's interest first. We're a fiduciary, so we always have to put the client's interest first. And for us, that means that for whatever tolerance of risk they've demonstrated they're willing to take on, give them the greatest chance at maximizing wealth. Mm -hmm. And that means based on all the academic research that we've looked at, you passively invest in the market through low cost products, exchange traded funds. And so that's all we use to establish their portfolios, right? The other is, so I said three pillars, that's the first, put their best interest first. The other is um, that we never ever take a dime outside of the monthly fees. So we have no back-end deals. We have no commissions. We have no FX cuts, nothing. If we don't charge you a monthly fee, we don't make a dime off of your account. Everything else that I'm going to talk about is just pass-through at cost to the investor. Right. And then the final one is, and this is um, one that people uh, um, might be surprised of, we never wake up in the morning with a call on which way the market's going. Because right. that, that would fly diametrically opposite to being a passive long-term investor. 
Um, and it also means that your conversations with us will be limited in their topics. No one's going to ask us, when should I sell Apple or why did I hold RIM for so long, right? The conversations will be, am I appropriately situated for my risk tolerance? Um, why are we choosing this ETF for that asset class as opposed to others? Uh, my life has changed a bit. How do we adjust my risk tolerance to reflect that? Those are the conversations portfolio managers will have with clients here. Uh, and going back to your original point of, um, we, we, we were talking about ETS. Well, what was the original question? Uh, original question was uh, the cost. So you have your revenue, which is the monthly right, right, right. fee. The, the and, other then cost. The, and then the ancillary cost, which you pass through 100%. So there are management expense ratios to yep. the ETS. Um, they will range for a complete seven asset class portfolio from between 12 and 20 basis points. And I say range yep. uh, because we don't have default portfolios. So we don't have buckets like most other services have where you come through pre, you fill in your KYC, you know your client questions. At the end of it, we drop you into one of five baskets, depending on what you most closely resemble. Uh, conservative, moderate, balanced, risky, completely aggressive, right? Mm -hmm. We don't do that. One of the great things about technology is that we can use it to customize completely unique uh, bespoke portfolios for each client of Nest Wealth. So when I say ranges, it's because it depends on how you answer the questions, what combinations of the ETFs we're going to use. Uh, and then um, if you're more aggressive, oddly enough, until Vanguard recently dropped their fees and BMO recently dropped their fees, fixed income ETFs were very, very expensive compared right. to equity. Now they're not. So mm -hmm. I think our ETF MERs are going to be coming down, but assume... 13, 14 basis points. Okay. And for the listeners who are not familiar with the terminolo terminology, basis points means one one hundredth of a percentage. So a 13 basis point cost would be 0.13%. 0.13 and relative to the 250 basis points that the average Canadian mutual fund sells for 95% cheaper. Right. Okay. So, okay. Oh, so one more thing, one yep. more thing. Um, uh, the only additional fee to know is that uh, transaction fees are charged by a custodian. Uh, we cap them at $100 a year, regardless of the number of accounts. So on the 960, think about another 100. It's $1,060. Okay. So that's the max basically is the, the 1060 plus whatever the underlying cost of the products are that are in the portfolio, which on the grand scheme of things are, are pretty low. Pretty low. Uh, but that's the lowest pretty much that you're getting. And if you're below 75,000, it's 240, right? So, so our average account size right now is low six figures. Mm -hmm. Our average age is about 43, 44. Yeah, I was going to ask you about this. It's a fascinating topic. So let's get to that in a sec. But we do have a lot of people in the kind of 10, 15, $25,000 oh, range really? that are paying $20 a month and loving it. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, a, a lot of people thought, okay, robo advice, this is clearly going to be a millennial story because uh, when was the last time a millennial went into a bank branch to do anything? They do everything on their phone, blah, blah, blah. And I think what uh, from the, the, the stats that I've seen about Nest Wealth, your typical client, which you just uh, also mentioned, has low six figures in their portfolio. I'm guessing they're probably 40 to 50, something like that. Yeah, with a lot of baby boomers as well. Mm hmm. And and I think this makes sense because with your model, it really becomes more attractive once the asset levels get high enough, if all you're looking at is cost. Because on the low end, if someone is starting out, they'll look at the cost and say, oh, well, this is 
you know, if I'm paying monthly, this is actually more expensive than what I'm paying for now, but there's a crossover point. So, so tell me more about your typical client. Who is the typical person using Nest Wealth? When we, um, when we established Nest Wealth, uh, one of the things we wanted to do was go after where the most pain existed in the Canadian marketplace. Um, and there are a couple dynamics that are happening here that made it obvious to us that the pain existed for what we call the forgotten middle in Canada. And, and those are people with somewhere between, call it 25000 and even up to a million dollars in investable assets. And why I say the forgotten middle is because a couple things have happened. Um, full service wealth management firms, the, the blue chip ones, uh, they continue, even the bank owned ones, they continue to raise the minimum at which they'll consider you a viable client. So 10 years ago, it might have been $50,000 or $100,000. Now, it's not uncommon to come across advisors that won't take you on unless you have half a million or a million. And and at the exact same time, the question then becomes, well, what are all those people doing for financial services or wealth management now? And they're getting phone calls from bank branches to come in and talk about the $200,000 sitting in their account or the $75,000 sitting in their account. And they're getting defaulted into... Canadian mutual funds, mm-hmm. which are two and a half percent, like we talked about, the highest feed mutual funds in the world based on Morningstar. And, and the pain, the financial pain to this group of people is absolutely immense. Hundreds of thousands of dollars um, by the time they retire, just, just evaporated without them potentially even knowing it. What's their only other alternative is to do it themselves. And, and in many cases, while it absolutely can be done, Human nature tends to make a mess out of it, right? You end up selling the stuff that's uh, um, done poorly and buying the stuff that's already run up. Uh, you end up forgetting to do the things that you need to do, the micro stuff like rebalance and, and make sure that the portfolio is matching your life changes. So we saw this immense need right in the middle of the market that to say, look, I understand millennials are going to move to a new style of investing. But to that point, the pain from a financial point of view on a millennial with $5,000 or $10,000 in their account, it's not a ton. Yeah, they're paying 2% a year. That's $100 or $200 a year. It's an egregious amount to have someone in a just one-size-fits-all mutual fund. But I can't really do much to reduce the cost to them immediately. Mm However, if you find someone who's paying $5,000 a year to be in a mutual fund or even $3,000 a year and you say, all right, over 10 years, that's $100,000 or $50,000 a year and I can take it down by 90% for you, to us, that's where the immense pain exists. And so we went right there and the pricing model has contributed to the fact that that's who's taken us up on our offer. We have... um, we have multi, we have, we have accounts that are in the seven figures. We have accounts, many, many, like our average accounts are in the six figures. Uh, and then we have people that since we introduced the $20 a month account are thinking longer term and are thinking, look, I might only have $20,000 now, but eventually I don't want to be giving up a percentage of every new dollar I put into this. So I'm going to go with Nest Wealth and I'm going to start out at $20 a month and, and we're going to be together for a long time. Now, we know, we both know that there is a huge variation in the quality of advice that you get from a financial advisor. If you tell someone, hey, listen, I'm a financial advisor, that doesn't really tell you a lot about their competency because there are some who are fantastic and there are some who are nothing more than glorified salespeople. Huge variation. Yeah. So let's now look at the segment of the financial advisor population that is competent, 
um, that are acting on a nearly fiduciary basis, because uh, there are some out there, even though they're not beholden to a fiduciary stand, there are many that do are, are doing all the right things. And if you've got a client that's working with an advisor like that, let's say half a million bucks, and the client and the advisor have talked about costs, because many do, uh, because of the threat that uh, that exists out there with robo-advice and, uh, and the disintermediation of advice. Costs have come down in some segments. So maybe you've got an advisor that is full service. So talking about uh, investment planning, goal setting, insurance, estate planning, cash flow, all that stuff. And they may be charging one and a half percent. So now my question to you is, with someone like that, would they be better off with your service or not? It's an incredibly personal decision for that person to make. And in many cases, the answer is going to be no. In many cases, if they get full value out of that advisor relationship and that advisor is contributing in ways that our service never could, then that advisor is a relationship worth keeping. I've sat on many panels. I was joking last week that I thought we hit peak robo because I was invited <laughs> to two panels on robo advice in the same building at the same time by two different conferences. Holy smokes. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay, um, maybe this is the peak of where we're going with, right. with people paying attention to this. Uh, but it obviously hasn't been because we have a lot more panels coming up. And I say, I say, I've spoken to advisors in the audience. I've spoken to banks. I've spoken to everybody. And I say to them, look, if you're an advisor and you can add value and you have a client base that recognizes that value and can see it, you have nothing to worry about. In fact, we just launched Nest Wealth Pro, which is our platform for advisors. Yep. And we'll talk about that in a second, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, the people who have something to worry about right now, are advisors who have built books that add no value and that are charging the point and a half, but can't demonstrate how they're actually differentiating themselves from someone who could just come onto our service and pay 80 bucks a month and get the exact same type of portfolio, if not better, and better monitoring and better transparency and better, better, better. That's the part of the industry that has to worry about where things are going. The way you describe someone, competent, fiduciary, looking for the best interest of their client, Absolutely not. The distinction, though, is going to be that a service like Nest Wealth Pro, for example, which is already being trialed by large institutions within Canada right now, is going to take all the areas that used to be the mainstays of this industry. Look at the portfolio we've built for you. Look at how it's done. Look at, look at, look at, and shrink them down to a lesser importance in that relationship. And the goal is that the efficiencies that they gain by not having to spend time on areas where historically they'd be challenged to demonstrate they add value, are now freed up so that they can spend time on areas where they can absolutely add value. And I think advisors and that advisor relationship is absolutely critical if the things you mentioned are important to people, the tax planning, the succession, the estates, on and on and on. That's a relationship that's healthy. But if an advisor's out there trying to get by just by creating a portfolio and calling it a day, mm -hmm that's a relationship that is completely going to get disintermediated. And, and this is interesting because 20 years ago, this was kind of the theme from within the industry is, hey, advisors, if you want to build your books of business, don't focus on keeping on top of the markets. Outsource that to a portfolio fund, which may be 2%, uh, and you can focus on finding new clients and what have you. And you're basically saying, okay, let's take that to the nth degree, really outsource it, and bring the cost down. And in the era of transparency, 
people are going to start demanding that. So if the, the outsourcing of portfolio construction monitoring and maintenance can be done for, you know, a really, really small cost, then that frees the advisor up to do the planning where some people call this the true alpha that an advisor can bring to the table is not so much alpha on a portfolio, but value add on holistic financial planning. So who is your target client for Nest Wealth Pro? I've been shocked at the rapidity which with uh, with which this part of the industry has grown. Um, there have been movements in the industry, I think, that have spurred other financial firms and even non-financial firms to say, all right, we need to reevaluate what's important here. There was a study that came out two weeks ago that said 25% of clients would leave, <clears throat> sorry, 25% of clients would leave a healthy advisor relationship if they didn't have a good digital experience. Right. That's shocking, right? Yeah. So when an industry looks at Nest Wealth, um, they don't look at us to handle their portfolio management. They don't look at us to handle their asset allocation necessarily. But they look at the things we've learned about digital advice over the last two years, and they are thinking we need that as well. So let me break it down a bit. Digital advice or digital wealth management is really broken down into three parts from our, our point of view, at least for the pro experience. The first part is the engagement we have with people that come to example, the nestwealth.com site. We're willing to show them how much they're spending in fees. We're willing to show them what they could end up with. We're willing to show them a portfolio we'd even construct for them. And in that process, it's shocking how many people are going through it and providing us with um, information that we need to make those qualifications, which lets us have incredibly intelligent, engaged conversations with them, right? This is very, very important to the firms that exist right now. They want to engage with clients earlier on, and digital is one way to do that. Once someone's decided they actually want to become a client, we can move them through an entire onboarding process without printing a piece of paper, without getting a wet digital signature. We can track them every way through, so that every step, so that we can be there to assist if they get stuck or they need handling. There are counterparties like custodians, like transfer agents that we can track digitally as well to see if things are dropping. And reducing the cost and the time to account fulfillment of that process incredibly important to the firms that exist right now. In fact, many firms will look at the Nest Wealth Pro platform, see the forms digitization and the onboarding electronically, and get so excited that they'll stop there and just say, we need that. Because it is stacks of paper, weeks of process, iterations and iterations of papers being returned because of errors. So step one, a, a digital wealth management platform engages a client earlier and more intelligently onboards them more efficiently and much uh, much quicker and less costly than traditional methods. And then when they're onboarded, we can put the advisor at the center of a relationship. So when goals go off track, when portfolios need to be adjusted, when communications desired by the client, on and on and on and on, the system can proactively alert the advisor that they want to reach out and make these statements. Um, it can also allow the consumer, the investor, to say when they want to communicate with the advisors. And these Nest Wealth Pro platforms are branded under the financial firms, whether it's an insurance company, whether it's a bank, whether it's an advisory firm, whether it's a non-wealth management firm that's interested in seeing how their clients want to react to this type of offering. Uh, It's just a win-win on all different levels. And, And so when I say I'm surprised by the speed at which it's evolved, I think I can safely say there is not a large financial institution throughout Canada 
that we haven't engaged in a conversation about how they want to start using a digital wealth platform like Nest Wealth Pro to make their advisors vastly more efficient, to make their advisors vastly more proactive in the sense of how to take care of a client without spending so much resources on it, and to improve the client experience. And that, that's where Nest Wealth Pro is seeing a lot of take up. So let's look at a, a growing model of financial advice, which is fee for service. This is where an advisor charges by the hour or a flat rate for their services. And coupled with something like Nest Wealth Pro, this is kind of like the utopia that uh, investor advocates have been looking for for the last couple of years, which is a complete unbundling with perfect transparency with respect to costs. Is that somewhere where you're seeing any traction or is it still too too early on that side? I mean, the fee-for-service advisor- Tons of traction. Oh, really? Tons of traction. Um, Fee-only financial planners uh, have- always wanted to do the full best job in their client's best interest they possibly could. Uh, Many of them um, aren't licensed or able to handle the investment side of things. And and so they have always looked around for best areas to outsource their clients or not outsource, but refer their clients to at least investigate alternatives. Um, We see lots of fee only financial planners uh, referring clients that are asking, all right, thank you for the $3,000 plan. Great mm-hmm. plan, great spend, because now they have their full financial plan set up. Where do I go to actually invest my assets now? And they say, well, you should look at this and this, and you should look at Nest Wealth. Um, and those clients that do come to us, sometimes they'll actually engage the fee-only financial planner on a retainer. They'll engage us as a wealth manager, and they'll give visibility into their accounts to the fee-only financial planner. So now they have the best of both worlds. They have a plan, they have a second set of eyes overseeing what we're doing, and they have professional sophisticated wealth management at our level. So on the um, topic of financial education whatnot, I have to um, sort of step in and, and talk about one of the gripes that I have in the industry is that the term fee-only I think is misused. And the reason I say that, if we talk to uh, the difference between fees and commissions. My view, and this hasn't been adopted, it's not written anywhere, but my view is that commissions need to be referred to as costs that originate from product. So it comes from within a mutual fund. So a trailing commission is a trailing commission, not a trailing fee. Um, And when it comes to the difference between fee-only, fee-based, and fee-for-service, fee-only, technically, if you look at uh, the US definition, fee-only just means that the advisor only ever collects compensation from fees, whether it be asset-based fees on a percentage or fee-for-service, which is an hourly or flat fee rate. So the problem I see in Canada is that a lot of people use the term fee-only to mean the guys who charge by the hour or the flat rate, but that's not necessarily true, and it leads to a lot of confusion. So I'll just sort of make my comment on that. Um, And so those advisors that only charge by the hour, a flat rate will never deal with the portfolios in any way, shape or form are the fee for service guys. And so I think a lot of people think they should be looking for fee only, but that's a different definition of what they are actually looking for, which is fee for service. So just, I just wanted to point that out. And the last thing, cause I know you have a hard stop at 1230. So you've got either a meeting or a tea time. I don't know which. Uh, uh, it, it's a meeting. <laughs> I think I've golfed twice since my 13 year old son was born. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, So my last question, um, you came from an industry where you were an active manager. Yeah. Right? So you worked at a hedge fund. Um, You worked for uh, OTPP. Yeah. Um, And now you are advocating passive. I don't see a lot of 
robo-advice options out there where there is a actively managed portfolio that's automated. Um, do you see that as like, is it is that just a, a market segment that's being ignored? Or why is it that all robo-advisors are passive ETF only? Uh, <laughs> we, we talked about this. I can't remember if it was on air or, or beforehand, but we said... We said everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Right. Not everybody's entitled to their own facts, right? right? And I think there's a misnomer, perhaps, that the digital advice industry has chosen passive because for some reason it's easy or mm-hmm. it's simpler to implement. And the truth is that might be the case in certain instances, but there's no there's no factual evidence that it would be harder to implement an active fund than it would be an un- passive ETF portfolio. The reason we chose passive along with many of our peers is because it is objectively the best way to maximize an investor or client's wealth by the time they decide to retire or reach their goals. And so when you say it in that way, why would we deviate from the model and move to an active model if the only thing it was doing was increasing the volatility or the risk and decreasing the returns over time? It would be, it would be incorrect in our eyes to do that. Um, doesn't mean there's not a market for it. It's just not an area where we see a lot of demand. People are coming to nest wealth because they want to make their lives easier to manage and they want to understand the way that people are investing their money. They, black boxes are interesting, but they're not so interesting when they do things they're not supposed to do, like lose a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. When we explain to people that the best way to achieve wealth is, is to, based on decades and decades of objective research, is to be the market and not consistently try and pay the fees to beat the market. And hence, that is why we've invested the way we have. And the asset classes we're chosen, uh, we've chosen are the ones that were selected by the head of Yale's endowment fund as the ones that are nece- uh, necessary to build a diversified portfolio. Um, and that everything we do is based on what is in our investors' best interest to maximize their wealth. Uh, it becomes a secondary part of the conversation. We don't get a lot of, I want you guys picking when oil is going to bottom, or I want you guys investing in gold when it's an appropriate time to invest in gold. People are very comforted by the notion that there is a plan for their assets. The plan is to reduce the fees as much as possible. I often say to people, we control everything that we can possibly control. We control your fees, your risk tolerance, your diversification. We control rebalancing. We control how your accounts legally are set up so that you're as safe as you possibly can be. We control all of that. The one thing I can't control, nor anyone can, is which way the market's going. So we're never going to try and make you a promise that that's the direction where we add value. So we are out of time, but every guest gets uh, 60 seconds to give a commercial, a plea to the listeners, why they should, uh, where they can find you, why they should go to your website. So the floor is yours. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Um, I, I really do urge anyone listening to go to nestwealth.com and, and take a look around. The biggest obstacle for people deciding what to do with their money is not knowing the choices they now have available and not knowing the impact of being in things like high fee mutual funds or relationships where they're paying a lot, and not getting a lot of service in return. Um, play around with the stuff we have there. Put in how much you've saved and see how much fees are going to take away by the time you hit your goals or retire. Understand that this could be one of the simplest and most important things you could do to end up being in a position where you can achieve your financial goals. And if you have any questions, please, you can reach us from chat. You can reach us through email. You can reach us through phone. Um, we're here to answer your questions, and we'd be delighted to talk to anyone who's listening. And the website? 
www.nestwealth.com. There you go. Randy Cass, thank you so much for being on the show. It's my pleasure. All right, that is it for this week. We will see you next time.